If you enjoy the channel and our video content and would like to support us, you can do this in a couple of ways. You can sign up to our Patreon site which is a monthly subscription to one of our four tiers, each giving you something different from early access interviews up to exclusive unseen footage. There's also the option of a one-off donation via PayPal which allows you the option to donate an amount of your choice. Both options really help to keep this channel going and to continue putting out regular content for you good folk. So please take a look at aircurrentreview.tv forward slash donate and I thank you in advance. Thank you and enjoy. Yeah, let's briefly talk about your time uh, transitioning to the super horn of the ENF. What was that like going from the Tomcat? Because I've heard a few times it's like going from an old Cadillac to something like a modern BMW or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so people ask me that all the time. So, so you know, which one do you like better? I said, well, it's like having a mid-year Corvette. It's like a '67 Corvette. You know, goes fast. It's loud. It's sexy. It's instantly cool, and a brand new 911 Porsche, digital. You know, that's what's like. So both are extremely fun. Uh, if you ask me my favorite airplane, what, which one would I walk to right now with both on the ramp? I go to the Tomcat D model in a heartbeat because I just I'm in love with that airplane. Mm-hmm. Um, the greatest thing about flying the Super Hornet for me was I got to do it. And so my last Tomcat flight uh, was my change of command flight on the 5th of September of 1998. And um, I went into Navy nuclear power training to learn how to drive carriers. And so I was in that process. And, and all of a sudden I realized that my uh, my Tomcat time had gone like that, 16 years in a Tomcat and was was done. And I, I went, oh my gosh, I didn't like smell the roses, you know, and sit in the cockpit and enjoy being there because it was kind of a job. So when I got to fly the Super Hornet, go into Nimitz as part of my training uh, to go into Nimitz, the three star said, you can go get a Super Hornet qual. It was like I had been handed this huge gift. And so every second in that airplane, not only did I enjoy flying the airplane and learning how to fly a new airplane and, and really getting into the systems and stuff and how it compared with my experience in a Tomcat, but I just loved flying again because I didn't think I was going to get to. And so uh, I, I, as I tell people, I, I went through the training process in the late, late 2006 in the, in the Super Hornet in VF-122, VFA-122 at Lemoore, NAS Lemoore, California. The first time I pulled back on the stick was eight years after, eight years and three months after I had left the Tomcat. Wow. I hadn't flown an airplane in eight years. And, the, and within 20 seconds, I was back at home. I mean, I literally put the gear up and I and I instantly was able to fly the airplane with the same precision I did the Tomcat, uh, mostly because the HUD was right. I knew exactly where to put the HUD. So like riding a bike, my mental and muscle memory came back. And now I just had to think about, OK, how much throttles it take to make this airplane do that and how much stick. And so when we went out and did our initial maneuvering, I figured it out and we went in the landing pattern in China Lake less than a half hour later. And I was banging out arrested uh, or uh, FCOP style landings with a centered ball the whole way. The lieutenant in the back is a kid named Blue Hannum. He's a lieutenant. He was my instructor. And we were going down on this on this hop to get me a bunch of hours in the Super Hornet. And so as we went into China Lake to do uh, the uh, touch and goes in there, you know, I came very comfortable into a carrier break in you know, a 600 feet big break, seven and a half G's around a corner, put the gear in the flaps down, came around, not very much straight away, centered ball to touchdown, boom, tower tower gives us a downward at our discretion, almost immediately after touching, off, touching down, banking the airplane off the runway and doing little circles. 
coming around the corner, center ball every time, eight times. And uh, all of a sudden, Blue comes up, over, and he'd been pretty silent. He's a fairly quiet guy. And all of a sudden, after like the eighth touch, touch and go, he comes up with this, he just this big expletive on the, on the IMC. He says, you know, screw you, sir. Like that. And I go, what? <laughs> what? What are you talking about? And he says, uh, he says, you've been out of flying jets longer than I've been flying the Super Hornet. And you fly this airplane better than I do. Wow. And so it was just the muscle memory coming back and, uh, and being able to fly the airplane. That was the first experience. And then I just started playing with it. Uh, and, and, you know, kind of figuring it out. Now I was, I only flew during the daytime. I didn't go over the beach. Uh, if I flew a tactics hop with, with somebody, the backseater kind of ran everything. I was just a stick monkey in the front. So I was fairly used to, you know, kind of a Tomcat style where I would, uh, I would just fly the airplane and the guy in the back would work everything in the F and that was fine because I typically flew with a commanding officer, but I didn't really know how to employ the Super Hornet. Um, I would I would do nominal hops, like I would do a refueling hop, you know, give gas to people over the ship. Um, I'd go do surface subsurface search, you know, I'd work the radar, but I was I was only good at flying the airplane. I was not good at operating the weapon systems on that airplane, even close. And if I had something complex I had to figure out how to do, I was always on the radio going, hey, how do I do that? Um, so my experience flying the Super Hornet was merely just flying the airplane. Yeah, because obviously the Super Hornet had all the Gucci gear, doesn't it? Uh, you know, mm-hmm. and it was all coming in. So, yeah, that would take a bit of getting used to. But uh, how did it compare flying to the Tomcat as is like, you know, like a stick and throttle type of aircraft? Um, faster acceleration, kind of the D acceleration, uh, especially clean. Roll rate was faster um, and it was Definitely more precise on the ball landing landing aboard the ship. It was more right. stable, higher wing loaded, uh, kind of that. But but fairly you know fairly similar uh, you, you know sort of flying. So um, I uh, it was much more precise. Um, right. I figured out how to you know so Tomcat stick movements fairly big, but you you figured out how to do that. Um, uh, kind of like uh, I, I I would you know get good at driving a truck and it's sort of bigger and now you're driving a car and now it's a little bit less and more maneuverable. It's kind of like that. But I'll, I will tell you when I was flying the super Hornet, I didn't, I, I wasn't comparing like, Oh my God, not, not after a few hops in the airplane, I wasn't going, Hey, this is different than the Tomcat. I wasn't feeling the differences. It was just, I kind of figured out how to fly it. Um, but the one funny story about, about the Tomcat uh, and the super Hornet is I got pretty good at breaking the airplane at the ship. <laughs> yes. So pretty good doing a, a shit out break, uh, you know, in the Tomcat, uh, at the ship. And I figured that one out and, and the techniques to do that. And so in a Tomcat, you know, very briefly, you could, you could come into the ship at 600 knots, a little lower, a uh, little bit of angles off and right before the back of the ship, just wrap the airplane up and pull, pull the six and a half G's. You know, give it a little bit of power, pull the idle and and just arc the airplane around. And the way that the that the Tomcat aerodynamics worked, you were you ended up about a mile of beam. And so you just kept it coming in this big turn. Mm-hmm. And so I would the putting the wings out, you're supposed to put the wings out at from 68 to uh, to 20 degrees wing sweep with your thumb switch at passing 300 knots in the brake. But you always wait till 250 and you put the wings out, throw the gear down. 
and it's slowing the flap speed, throw the flaps down at 220, the hook's already down, and now you're just slowing down around the corner. But the geometry is is kind of like this circle, right, mm-hmm. coming around. So I got qualified in the Super Hornet. I come out. I'm the captain of Nimitz and got a lot of fighter hours. People know I'm fighter hours. I'm an LSO, landing single officer. So one day I decide I'm going to do a shit-odd break in the Super Hornet, mm-hmm. very first time. So I come into my ship, the Nimitz. Everybody's on the deck. I'm last. I'm the only guy airborne. Oh, boy, here comes the captain. This is going to be cool. And so I get to the break, and I yank the airplane like I always did the Tomcat. And because the Super Hornet has a living wing and turns way better than the Tomcat did, I ended up doing a pirouette right over the ship. Wow. And I'm looking straight down at the LSOs. I haven't, I haven't pushed the airplane a mile away. I am right over the top of the wow. ship. And I go, oh, no. <laughs> So I kind of sheepishly rolled the airplane out. I overbanked. I went out to the to the you know back end of the ship, turned all the way around and came back. Of course, got a no grade for just looking stupid. And the LSOs <laughs> walk in and they go, they go, get the hell, cat. They're laughing at me. The whole LSO team, huge grins on our faces. What was that? And I go, I tried a shit odd break and I couldn't do it. And so one of the LSOs, the the one the 103, uh, or sorry, the VFA 41 LSO says, Captain, get a cup of coffee. I'm going to teach you how to break the Super Hornet. And so we sat down, and the way you break the Super Hornet is you don't just yank it around the corner. The first 90 degrees is 7.5 Gs. And in fact, if you want to be really chit you stroke the afterburner right, at the, right as you do it. And nice. then you bring it back to idle real quick because you're, you're accelerating the airplane. So you break it 90 degrees. And then you unload it, you shove the stick forward so you're ballistic and you drive out one potato, two potato, and you break it again at the 180. And it looks really cool. Yeah. And so you, you, you squat the airplane at the 180 and it's slowing down. Now you're a mile of beam, you're at gear and, and uh, flap speed. So the gear comes down, the flaps come down. And then the same thing, you're slowing the airplane down as you go around the corner. So the next day with that uh, ready room uh, brief, I did it. And it went out the next day and went, all right, I'm gonna break this thing twice. And then boom, like that. And the, just the only thing you had to watch and people got in trouble all the time is if you if when you pulled the first time, you were a little bit overbanked, you got your vector going towards the water. Hmm. When you unloaded in zero G, the airplane would drive towards the water and everybody yell at you, you know, and you know, watch your altitude, watch your altitude. You got to roll out and then come out and, and, and you look bad. So you have to make sure that when you do that, you've got to break level so that when you do the ballistic part, you are level with the water and not not heading down into the water. And before we get on to your book here, Nasty, uh, was there many Tomcat Mafia in the Super Hornet community? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, you want to you want to make a we call them, you know, so there's Tomcats. uh, So A7 and Tomcat guys went to the F-18 back in when F-18 was being come. So they brought fighter and light attack. And those two communities, you know, kind of stayed, you know, in the F-18 sort of they brought their old community with them. Mm -hmm. And then when. when you got into the Super Hornet, there were F-18 and Tomcat guys. You, you want to you get the goat of a, of a Hornet guy, you just talk about the big fighter. Tomcat's yeah. called the big fighter. Yeah. So, yeah, Tomcat Mafia, you know, Hornet Mafia, stuff like that. Oh, the big fighter. Oh, my God. Here we go again, the big fighter. Everybody's talking about the big fighter. And so it was, uh, yeah, we'd walk around all the time. I love the term big fighter anyway because it just it's sounds awesome. good. So, yeah. oh, yes, there was lots of rivalry in the Super Hornet with the, oh, big fighter guy. Or, no, that's a baby Hornet guy. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> all the time. All the time. <laughs> good stuff. But overall, did you enjoy your flying career? Oh, it's my happy place, Mike. If you know, I don't. People ask me if I if I envy it or I want to be back there. No, 
I, I don't go, well, I sure wish I was in the cockpit now, but my happy place is in a cockpit of a fighter on a carrier deck at sea. And being wow. able to fly up the deck, daytime, nighttime sucks. <laughs> yeah. but daytime is just great. And it's a varsity sport. Um, it's so much fun. I loved it. And, and it, it is, it is uh, this greatest. And you can tell I'm, I got a lot of energy talking about this and, and the stories and, and just, just the feeling of being in that environment, the adrenaline rush you get and the, the endorphins, you know, like I said before, it's kind of like working out. And uh, boy, it's just so much fun. But nasty. let's talk about your book, Learn How to Lead to Win. Can you tell us where this idea came from and, yeah, what was it like writing? Uh, so uh, the stories, the, the book has 33 stories in it that um, started from when I first had the vision to go to the Naval Academy, kind of a group, all the way to retiring as a two-star admiral in 2017. So, so uh, uh, you know, from 1974 all the way to 2017, my journey through the U.S. Navy uh, to retirement is what the book's about. And um, I found that, uh, first of all, they're good stories. And, and then attached to each story is a leadership lesson, because in my careers, especially um, in, in 1997, when I was preparing to be the commanding officer of VF-31 Tomcatters flying the F-14D, I had been the executive officer for a couple of years, and uh, I was preparing to be the, the commanding officer. And all of a sudden, the weight of command really started to, you know, kind of enthrall mm. me. Like, okay, how, why? And I literally remember sitting at the at the U bar in the Oceana Oak Club and asking my buddy next to me, "Why is morale important?" Literally, why is morale important? And and, and thinking about that rhetorical question, and so in my commands that ranged from the squadron of 350 people all the way to, you know, through a couple of ships to a strike group of 10,000 people, I learned how to lead, not just, hey, you know, communicate a lot or, or something, it was actually how, like, what do you do as a human to influence other human beings to do what you want them to do? or to go the direction you want them to do. And I don't mean do what you want to do because of Machiavellian, because you're the boss and you want to go that direction. Lead from the heart, connect with people from a human perspective, don't lead with your title, be approachable, be vulnerable, you know, those kind of things. And that idea has been rattling around in my head for a long time. Um, and I, I would tell, whenever somebody would ask me about, you know, leadership lessons, I always had a story, not just an answer, but a story. And I was sort of shocked by that. And, and uh, so it kind of rattled around in my head. And, and a year ago, my uh, the guy who's my business partner now, I was connected to him. We become very, very close. And he said, hey, you should write a book. And I go, I don't have any time. I'm working full time. And he says, he says, hey, you get you get that transcription software that you know, dragon, you talk into a microphone, it does a word document and I'll help you do it. And so basically what we did was take my ideas of leadership and talk into a microphone, put them into a, a rough draft and then squashed it down together. The process took from the middle of last April uh, through self-publishing processes on Amazon. And, mm -hmm. and we, we launched it on, on the 2nd of February of this year. And it's just the grunt work of, of getting the, the text correct and then getting the design and then self-publishing and stuff like that. So it's just a process. Um, I, I used a, a company called Kindlepreneur that helped me through the steps um, of self-publishing, and that that helped with a, a kind of a checklist, a to-do list of how to do it. So 
But when I've held the book the first time, I mean, there's a stack of them behind me here, but when I held my own book for the first time, that was really, really rewarding. Oh, I can imagine, yeah. Yeah. So heard, it's cool because it's it's all these great stories, and then there's a leadership lesson plugged into each one of them. There's 33. I actually have more stories than that on the cutting room floor. But the ones that were very, very impactful to me that I hope will be impactful to the leaders. And then after the leadership lesson, there's a leadership resource from somebody else like a Covey or a, you know, a Maxwell that, that adds on if somebody wants to read even more from another author. Yeah, and just as, as a side note here, Nasty, um, I watched your interview with Wombat and uh, I picked up on that uh, that thing you said, uh, don't lead by title, lead by your heart and, you know, like as a, as a person. And my dad, uh, he's just retired, but he was in a high position um, in microchips. And I asked him, I was like, do you do you think like that? And he was like, absolutely. He couldn't have got it more right. So I was like, okay, so yeah, yeah like, because like, that's what I think as well. That was great. And that was just a side note there, Nasty. But uh, uh, yeah. So I'm glad it we... resonated, Mike. I, I want to, it's very interesting. Um, you know, it kind of depends on how you're brought up. If you are all about yourself and your title, like I'm the captain. I should be treated like this or I'm the admiral. I should be treated like this or I'm an officer in the Navy. And so I should be treated this level. You're not going to succeed. And it's just kind of about the, you know, the kind of human that you are. Are you approachable? Are you vulnerable? And what's what's interesting and my book is full of failures. You know, so the other the other notion here is is. you know, well, look at you. I mean, you went to Naval Academy. You you got to fly fighters. You're a Top Gun grad. You commanded a, a, like an aircraft carrier. You're a two-star admiral. Uh, I mean, you, you're just full of privilege. You know how much work it took to do that? Exactly. And, yeah. And the and the failures I had along the way, where I thought I was done, that the book is loaded with that, because I always thought it was it was better to tell people who were coming in behind me what it was like to fail and recover from failing and get to Absolutely. where it is yeah. and to share with them, Hey, it's, I'm not all of that. I mean, I'm, I'm the same as you, you know, I just, I just worked through all these hurdles, same, you know, uh, you know, same challenges in life and overcame those challenges and got to do this stuff. But it's a very crooked path full of barriers and, you know, got to climb down and climb back up and all those kind of things. So I, I hope that message comes through in the book too. Yeah, I'm sure it does. And yeah, because we're, we're all human, we all fail and like learning from failure is a good thing. It's just now in our society, we seem to have like little things. It's like, I will destroy anyone in my way to get what I want. It's like, that is not a good thing. That is right. never a good thing. But uh, yeah, so where can we find the book online, Nasty? Is it just on Amazon or is it anywhere else? Um, it is on Amazon. We've recently started to push it out a little bit, but the most prevalent place is on Amazon. It's in paper and hardback and ebook. Um, I also narrated my own audio book uh, on there too, so it's on Audible and iTunes. So you can get an audio book as well. Um, and then my website, www.mikemanazer.com, has a couple of ways to get books as well that are signed by me and, and do that kind of stuff. But yeah, Amazon is, is the best place to go get them. Stuff. So if we've got like a couple of more minutes, I've got one question from one of our patrons and just a couple of personal ones uh, from myself just to wrap up this interview, if that's all right now. Okay, sure. Right, so this is from Joe Kunzler. Uh, which plane is better for carrier landings and also in combat, the F-18F or the Tomcat and why? Um, I think the, the F-18F is, is better for carrier landings overall because they have a uh, each F-18 model. In fact, the F-35 has the same thing. They call it pi- uh, precision landing mode, PLM. The flight controls, the um, throttles, and the symbology on the heads-up display are all connected together such that you can – 
You know, we used to call it put the thing on the thing. So you you take the, <laughs> the, the little symbology and put put it right there. But but the pilot land precision landing mode literally there's a green line in the Super Hornet that shows up on the heads up display. And you put that green line across the datums of the meatball, and there's an inverted triangle. It's a little tiny inverted triangle. I can't quite do it on the camera. You put that inverted triangle right on that green line, the airplane is gonna land on that line. And in fact, usually when you're flying the airplane, any kind of airplane board the ship, you correct, recorrect, and recorrect. So there's always three, there's a deviation and there's two corrections, correct and a recorrection coming down. In this PLM mode, you literally just pull back on the stick or push forward on the stick until the, until the, the uh, triangle and the super wing gets to the line and then you let go. And the airplane's wow. gonna fly to that spot. And and so guys are, you know, out on the ships now and I haven't flown PLM except in the simulator, but they're just banging a hole in the three wire. So it's it's very, very precise um, in combat. We now have all integrated systems in the in the, the sensor. So in my Tomcat D model, I had an infrared search and track screen. I had a radar, but they weren't integrated. So I had to I could look on the screen and do what was called a raid count. I could look on the radar and maybe there's one contact out on the radar. I would look on the on the IRST and I'd see two or three and I go, okay, there's three airplanes that one contact until the radar resolved them. So you did a lot of translation yourself. In the new airplanes now, the Super Hornets, and they're getting better and better and better and better. All mm -hmm. that's integrated now. The information flow coming into the cockpit from a bunch of different sources to close the kill chain is now a lot more than it was before. So now we're we're starting to risk sensory overload in combat which is why the human vehicle interface has to be upgraded in there. But the Super Hornets are much, much, much more capable in, uh, in, in the fight than, the, than Tomcat was because of the nature of the confluence of information you can get in the cockpit. And I would also offer, we talked about two people. When you get in that environment, you have surface-to-air threat, you got air-to-air -air threat, you got all this information coming in, you try to close kill chains, you're working with your other airplane, surveillance airplane. Two people is really good there to be able to you know, handle all of that stuff. Great stuff. So hopefully that answered your question there, Joe. So just a couple of uh, from me to wrap up here, Nasty. Do you have any hobbies? <laughs> so I ride a Harley. Uh, I have uh, I have a couple of boats, uh, luckily, uh, and we we fish and anchor here in the Chesapeake Bay. So we enjoy boating uh, in the Chesapeake Bay uh, here in, in Annapolis. Um, I like to fly fish and play golf, although I'll tell you that, uh, you know, my fly fishing cast and my golf swing is uh, very, very rusty right now. Uh, <laughs> we spend a lot of time on a nice day out on the boat. In fact, the, the Harley's got dust on it, too. So I have like a plethora of great things to do on a really nice day. We typically choose the boat because the water sports around the Chesapeake Bay are so unbelievably awesome. We typically choose that. So, yeah, that uh, that mostly fills my days. Awesome stuff. You kind of answered this one before, but uh, favorite aircraft you've flown? Tomcat, hundred <laughs> percent. I wish they were still around. I, I just, I love, I love them, you know. And I'm sure by now most people have seen the, you know, the second Top Gun Maverick movie. But I was a little kid at the end of that movie when they when they brought that thing out. It was hilarious to watch, nice. and they got so many of the details right. Uh, that it was just great to watch, you know, that, that, uh, that little segment. I, yeah, I, the Tomcat is, is the, is in my heart. Absolutely. Um, it's just awesome. One you would love to fly either past or present. P-51. Oh, okay. Right. I've flown on the back. That's my favorite airplane overall. I've flown on the back P-51D model, uh, actually from Manassas, Virginia, all the way to Batavia, New York. 
Uh, got a chance to fly with a guy in the front. Got a chance to do aerobatics in it. Love the sound of the of the engine. Uh, there's a Spitfire picture right over my right here over my right nice. shoulder. My my long time. My mom gave that to me as a present. It's uh, it's the Barry A. F. Clark picture coming out of the oh, coming right. out of the storm clouds. Yeah, and it's just gorgeous. And so those kind of airplanes with the props, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, World War II airplanes. But yeah, P fifty one, my favorite. Stuff. And you kind of mentioned your website there, but are you on social media, Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram, where well, uh, viewers can find you? Yep. Yep. Um, so the uh, I'm on all of those. There's a couple of them like on Twitter. It says Mike Manazer 2 or something like that. Or there's uh, Facebook says Mike Manazer dash author. Uh, pretty strong presence on LinkedIn. Uh, just my name and stuff. And so, yeah, we're across we're across all the, the social media platforms. Um, and then, of course, the website, MikeManazer.com, uh, has more leadership stuff attached to it, plus information on the book. Brilliant stuff. Well, we're going to link all that in the description for you folks. But, uh, Nasty, thank you very much for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Mike. This was just absolutely awesome. You made me happy on a Thursday here in Annapolis. <laughs> all good. Thanks very much, Matt. Okay. We'll see you. Cheers. Cheers.